Hi, we're so delighted that you've joined us. Welcome to the St. Mark's Podcast. I'm Justin Crisp. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And our colleague, Peter Walsh, is away again this week, officiating a family wedding in Cleveland, Ohio. We wish him Godspeed in his travels. So we've been through the ringer these last couple of weeks, the first weeks of our podcast, uh, as we've been exploring the gospel of Mark. Jesus first called a woman a dog, then he recommended we gouge out our eyes, and then last week, when I luckily was away, uh, he recommended that a rich man give away everything he has, and today we see what happens when some of the disciples ask for a promotion. Ouch. Let's hear the scriptures. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am, be- I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So, Elizabeth, somehow I've got to get a sermon out of this. Uh, what, <laughs> what do you make of, the, of uh, James and John just coming up to Jesus and saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's like they've not been listening to him the rest of the time. Like, if you think that's a good idea to ask Jesus, right. you've just not been paying attention to who this guy is. And uh, shout out here to Marsha Fallon. I'm also going to try to be nicer to Jesus this week. Uh, th- thank you, as always, for all of your comments. We love your comments. Keep commenting. Uh, right. But, Elizabeth, what do you, what do you, uh, pretty audacious on James yeah. and John's part, right? Well, what strikes me the most is Jesus' restraint. I mean, the, what he could at this point come out and say to his disciples is just like, oh. <laughs> to me, this is, you know, Jesus, Jesus as kindergarten teacher and all the disciples as kindergartners, you know, for, I'm first, I'm the best, I need to lead. Um, but then, you know, it's sobering to realize that we, we are those disciples, you know, and throughout totally. Mark, it's kind of uh, this pattern that's, um, writ large in this gospel. And also, I think their question, though, it's striking to me that the writer of Mark really used similar wording to what Herod said to Herodias. Oh, wow. You know, where Herod says, I'll give you anything, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask me for. Yeah. You know, and that, and I don't know if there's any kind of echo there, but it's definitely this um, invitation to 
um, the backwards way of being with Jesus. So I don't know. It's pretty stark and ridiculous sounding that they would have the audacity to say this to Jesus. But I think part of it's a mechanism to, to alert the early Christians to this, this instinct that we always have to be powerful and to be Mm. first and, um, have the on the place of honor. And it's just so bald faced. It's kind of shocking. Yeah, you're totally right. Oh my gosh. It would be different if I wasn't also one of these guys from time to time. I'm not, well, uh, not saying that it was you. <laughs> you're not saying that I'm I a wasn't... kindergartner, yeah. uh, a spiritual kindergartner. Uh, I can tell you, I am a spiritual kindergartner. I mean, we all are. Oh man. And Jesus is incredibly restrained here, actually. Uh, I mean, he, he could just, he could just come out and clobber these guys. Um, it is, you know, the, the request itself is, um, uh, it is both audacious, I think, and it's, it's both prideful, mm-hmm. and I think it's there's something beautiful about it. Like what they're asking to do, they're using the image of a of a of a banquet, which of course is a um, you know, it, I mean, banquets today are still kind of hierarchical events, right? Have you ever been to a wedding reception and you have to like you know figure out well which <laughs> where, where which table have I been assigned to and how are the tables ranked, you know, mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So yes, of course, sitting one at Jesus's right hand and one at Jesus's left, that means that they're going to be the head honchos of mm-hmm. the disciples, right? So mm-hmm. perhaps uh, perhaps this is part of um, is part of an effort on Mark's part to you know talk about the. The principles by which the apostolic community is supposed to be organized. And these principles are going to be different than the principles of the wider culture. The first are going to be last, the last are going to be first, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time that they're asking for a prideful thing, they're asking for pride a place next to Jesus relative to the other disciples who get angry about this in mm-hmm. the next paragraph, which we'll come to later on. Right. Uh, it's also a beautiful request. Like, they just want to sit next to Jesus. Now, I mean, I know there's all this other stuff, but uh, I can understand, you know, you want to um, uh, you want to sit next to this guy. He is someone who they admire. He is their leader. He has changed their life. They have dropped everything to follow him. They've done something at least pretty close to what Jesus counseled the rich man to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just want to be with him. They want to sit next to him, uh, with all of the hierarchical stuff that goes along with that. But then Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Mm-hmm. It's not so much like, you're right, that he doesn't clobber them. He actually says, you may actually not like what sitting at my right hand and at my left actually amount to. Mm-hmm. And then you get to this saying about baptism. I know right. baptism is really near and dear to your heart. I don't know anybody <laughs> who is more devoted to or is a uh, more um, sophisticated expositor of the theology of the 1979 prayer books, Theology of Baptism, actually, than Elizabeth. Uh, and so what do you make of the baptism here? Uh, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the truck cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Mm-hmm. What's he talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for that compliment. But I, I do know many, many people who can who are so articulate about baptism. You called me I a kindergartner, uh, and I called you a great expositor of the prayer book. So the first should be last, and last should be first, Elizabeth. Oh, uh, I see what's going on. Yeah, uh, I, I really, I don't believe that the baptism here is necessarily the baptism we practice today. I think, or that they even it were experienced with at that time. But, mm-hmm. but baptizo, you know, to drown the the kind mm-hmm. of um, immersion in in the waters of rebirth or cleansing. I mean, here, I feel like I, 
I've, I've seen references in some commentaries that it's an echo maybe of the psalmist when that says oh, the wow. waters have risen up to my neck. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm being overcome. I'm, I'm drowning here. Um, you know, and this, this reference to a cup that I drink is maybe the suffering servant's, you know, cup of suffering. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, but it's clearly like, um, meta metaphors that they might be familiar with for, um, suffering or brushes with death. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but you know, honestly, I haven't dug deep into what this reference to baptism might mean, but, but yeah, I mean, I think they... Jesus is very gracious to them that, you know, and, and the other part is that I don't know if by this time this was written that James had already been martyred, mm, but okay. James, yeah. one of these sons of Zebedee, uh, yeah. in the book of Acts, it describes his martyrdom. Yeah. And, um, so we know that these two disciples actually did go through with the, you know, did share in this suffering and baptism and they've continued to follow they they got it yeah. and at this point i think jesus knows that waters run deep in them but he, they don't get it <laughs> at all yet you know yeah and they don't understand that he has to suffer and they certainly don't understand that they might have to suffer mm. by following i don't think um so maybe that's his gentleness is he knows that right around the corner comes their own trials and mm. um they're not going to just come into glory because he goes and dies. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting use of the word there. Um, there's a lot we don't understand about baptism in the Bible compared to what, how we talk about baptism, baptism today. Yeah. Very true. Um, for us, it's, you know, initiation into the full body of Christ. And of course it comes with the promise to, you know, serve and, and at personal cost to ourselves. And, and that's really what the life is about as maybe we'll see in a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know if that helps at all to, with this conversation. No, it totally um, does. What I'm, one of the things that I'm taken with that you said is that he, Jesus knows that or has an appreciation for the fact that um, uh, the, these guys are actually going to be baptized with the baptism with which he is going to be baptized. So far as that's like the mm -hmm. suffering of the suffering servant, the cup metaphor being the suffering, the cup of suffering, uh, the baptism perhaps being the cross. Um, it's, uh, it, it's worth our remembering, I think, that just before this passage, Jesus is actually, again, rehearsing his kind of odd messiahship thing. So mm -hmm. the, um, uh, the lectionary doesn't normally pull punches, but I think it kind of pulled a punch. I wish that the lectionary had actually, like, begun a couple, like, three or four verses before where right. this lesson picks up, because just mm -hmm. after, um, okay, so last week's lectionary reading ended with but many who are first will be last and last will be first uh, that's um verse 31 of mark chapter 10 mm -hmm. verse 32 says that the disciples are on the road going to jerusalem jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid mm -hmm. I mean, really? yeah. <laughs> yeah no wonder no kidding they were afraid and so it says jesus took the 12 aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And it's immediately after that, that James mm -hmm. and John come to Jesus and say, teacher, we want for you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So he just told them, mm -hmm. I'm an odd Messiah, okay? I'm not going to roll into Jerusalem and liberate 
uh, our people from the Romans in the way that you might think that I might. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, I'm going to be the suffering servant. That's going to be my glory. That's going to be my leadership. That's going to be the way that I win, as mm -hmm. it were. That's going to be God's victory. Um, and this is this is a uh, this is a way that the disciples live themselves. I mm -hmm. mean, so you mentioned that James is martyred, uh, and this is um, am I? So do you think that this is James the Great, right, the patron saint of Spain? Is that who this James is, or is this James the brother of Jesus? Or I mean, all of that get the family tree here gets pretty yeah. complicated. Well, the sons of Zebedee, I guess these are brothers, not yeah. the brothers of Jesus, right? I think. And I think John is, the John here is typically identified or has been traditionally identified by like the church fathers with John the apostle, the beloved disciple, the oh, one who is, a, uh -huh. you know, seems to be Jesus's BFF in the gospel of John. Mm -hmm. um, and they, you know, I, I don't quite remember what happens to John. I don't believe that John was martyred, um, at least not in the tradition, but James certainly was, as you said. And mm -hmm. so, and the, and the Markan community, as you've said many times, is undergoing great persecution even at the time that the gospel's yeah. being written. Mm -hmm. um, these would be words that sound really harsh to us, but are perhaps mm -hmm. consoling mm -hmm. to the audience that Jesus, that right. Mark is writing to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this, this whole section of Mark is about discipleship and about the mm -hmm. cost of discipleship and about what it means to follow Jesus. It's, a, it's about service and, you know, endurance and undergoing suffering, knowing that there's life on the other side and knowing that Jesus is going with them through it. And so you really can't divorce the, the writing from the period that it's yeah. and the people that it's written to, I don't think. Um, a footnote, I'm curious where Peter is in this conversation. It's usually Peter who's, you know, stepping up and <laughs> sticking his foot in his mouth. But um, that's interesting. I think James and John, you know, they must have had a real place in the marketing community um, yeah. for what they did or what they were doing at the time. But um, I don't know. That's very interesting question well what do you speaking of peter ostensibly peter would be among the 10 who hear this and then yeah. get mad at james and john right. for asking for pride of place right uh james and john are not the only contenders mm -hmm. um what mm -hmm. do you what do you make of the of the exchange that that then happens where jesus is comparing like you know his way with the way of the gentiles and so right. on in response to them well, I don't feel like they're angry with James and John for asking the question, except mm. I think they're probably angry that they are asking first, and they're, they're, they're <laughs> like, "What? What's this? We we could uh, we could have asked. We could we might get this. You know, it's like yeah. a privilege they didn't know about, and now they're suddenly oh, hearing really it. Good. It's like, well, so again, I feel like there's this dynamic of the the kindergarten class or something. <laughs> no disrespect to kindergartners. I mean, I think some of them are quite wise, yeah. but um. I don't know. I think they, they're angry. Uh, and then Jesus nips it in the bud. You know, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as rulers lord it over them, but it will, it is not so among you. So mm. he's completely turning the culture around for what it means to be a Jesus follower. Um, so, you know, he ends this whole thing with, I came to serve and not to be served and to give my life as a ransom mm. for many. I mean, it's to, to serve and to give your life for, for everyone else, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a total different dynamic. It doesn't end with, oh, and then you'll get all the rewards and position and power. It just ends, you know, <laughs> serve and give your life. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know? totally. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it can be kind of like the kind of like the original ending of the Gospel of Mark, where it just right. ends with, you know, silence, mm-hmm. fear, they run away, they don't tell right. anybody. Um and not forgetting that the beginning of Mark is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, it's like yeah. the good news trails off. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which is how life sometimes is, right? Yeah. Uh I mean I've been uh oh I'm trying to think about how much of this story to share. So I would say I was um, I was talking with um, uh, with John Kennedy, uh, not John not John Kennedy, the golf pro, well known to uh, so many of us here at St. Mark's, but John Kennedy, a, a, a priest in the Episcopal Church who came out of this parish. He was our former youth minister. Uh, he's now at St. Paul's in Cleveland Heights in Ohio. Uh, John's a fantastic guy, as as, uh, as we both know. Uh, and I was having a conversation with John about some of the stuff on this podcast. John says he listens to our podcast. Hi, John. Shout out to you. Uh, hello, Father. Uh, and John and I were talking about the gamble that Jesus' way of love really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you live in this way, it seems to me that some people get resurrections in this life. Like I look at people's lives and they're giving themselves in love and their lives do look incredibly beautiful. And then I see some people who just seem to be giving themselves away and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And I don't actually, I can't perceive their resurrection. Um, and I've thought a lot myself about whether, whether I would find this way of life attractive if I didn't think it was true underneath it. Like, if I didn't think that God was real, would I want to be a Christian? Um, and a lot of people, I think, find Jesus to be an incredibly compelling character, like, in, in the, his way of love to be an incredibly compelling thing. And I, I have to be honest with you, I actually don't. I find it incredibly foolish. <laughs> I mean, giving away all of your stuff, that's nice, but you could end up in the ER these days. And um, I know that they're working on legislation around this, but, uh, you know, I might need some of that money to pay for my ER bill if I happen to get a doctor who's not in network or something like that. Uh, I got to worry about a 401k. I'm married. I have a dog. I don't have any children. Do you have children? I got to provide for all of these people, right? But Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to be, you've got to hold all that loosely. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, you know, you may not have to give it all away, literally, but you at least have to hold it loosely. And, um, I try, I aspire in my own life to hold it loosely because I believe that the story is true. I believe that Jesus is both God and human. I believe he has a kind of authority in that way. But if he wasn't any of those things, I don't actually know that I would want to be a Christian. I don't actually know that I would want to follow this unless I really believed that, as Jesus told the disciples before they get into this, that he is the son of man and the son of man will be handed over and they will mock him and spit upon him and on, after three days he will rise again. If it wasn't for that, I think this way of life looks ridiculous. Even to me, I think I would be an existentialist or something like that. I would follow Jean-Paul Sartre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the guy who said that hell is other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great introvert phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'd be something other than a Christian. I don't know. What about what, what makes this stuff compelling or not to you? Oh, well, well I think it depends on how we want to define um, what we don't how we define resurrection and mm. salvation. And I think that these words have been co-opted by the power struggle, the power oriented church, where it's some sort of reward at the end of your life. If you've mm. checked all the right boxes and behaved properly. And, um, you know, I mean, to me, salvation for Jesus was wholeness, salvo healing, mm. you know, and, and you can 
be restored again and again, you know, throughout your life. And if it isn't for now, mm-hmm. it is ridiculous. I mean, because oh, none of yeah. us can really, I'm not saying it's not also for the afterlife, but if it isn't now, forget about it. Yeah. You know, live your life and live it up, you know? <laughs> but I, I think, and in, in, in resurrection to me is this ability to be liberated from everything that drags you, everything that feels like death or um, a dead end or, you know, I, I feel like yeah. the, the resurrection, even the people who give and give and give and don't appear to be resurrected. If, if they're looking for, you know, happy circumstances or more money or better relationships or whatever, um, it's the freedom from needing all of that. I think okay. that might be mm. the resurrection because then you're free to be joyful about what is, you know, mm. I mean, it's, it's not very well said in that short way, but I, I feel like, no, it's beautiful. you know, there has to be some release from the need for things and mm-hmm. the need for things to be a certain way, you know, mm. this attachment to outcomes or attachment to um, the reward for my effort or something. So that's what all the mystics talk about and being in the moment and being, you know, present to what is and, um, you know, life is only in this one moment. And Jesus was so much about, he he lived his life that way. He was in the flow of, you know, everything he had received, he gave away and it, you know, it never stopped coming to him, but he kept Mm. giving it, you know, and I think that's the goal is to like, you come, you serve, you give, you, you know, and that's the Trinitarian kind of like life cycle of um you know creation and and expansion and creativity and so i don't know um to me i think that we have to think a lot about what resurrection and and salvation mean Mm. um and then not really size up a situation you know because it's an inner life experience i think so well, may I be baptized with that baptism? No, that, <laughs> and that's, me too. No, that, that's incredibly yeah. beautiful. It reminds me of um, reminds me of this quote that I'm thinking about from my sermon on Sunday from uh, the, the the Scottish priest John Macquarie, who was um, oh, yeah. a priest in the diocese of New York, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of Bishop Grine, a former bishop in residence here, um, where he talks about the humility of God, and for him, mm-hmm. the God of Christianity is a God who is humble, because this God is always giving God's self in creation, as you said. Uh, in Jesus Christ, always giving life to uh, to us, uh, giving life in Christ, giving life even on the other side of death, giving life in death, uh, and uh, giving just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving more. That this is the this is the Son of Man who um, who Jesus is, and this is the God that Christians believe in. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, that that is incredibly beautiful mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. um, and. I suppose we'll see what I actually say on Sunday about the humility of God or any of the rest of this stuff. Uh, we're so delighted again that you've uh, you've spent uh, 25 minutes with us. Thank you so much. Please do like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. We love it. Please help us to share God's good news with a world in great need. Uh, and Elizabeth, do you have a last word for the people? I can't wait to hear your sermon. <laughs> Justin's a beautiful preacher. You don't want to miss Sunday. So I can't wait to hear what you uh, give us from this this great text. Um, Thanks, Justin. We'll see. God bless you all. Bye-bye.